Happy New Reads November, listeners. There's a chill in the air. You're pulling out your favorite scarves and boots and sweaters. You're bracing yourself for crazy holiday travel and anticipating all the deliciousness of a Thanksgiving dinner. And here on SSR, we are pressing a temporary pause on our usual discussions of literary throwbacks and focusing instead on YA books published in the last year or so. It's New Reads November 2019. The first title in this special series is David Yoon's Frankly in Love, a YA debut and New York Times bestseller that hit shelves in September of this year. In it, we meet high school senior Frank Lee, who's navigating the usual pressures and excitements of being a teen, along with the more particular set of challenges that come with being the child of immigrants. Frank's parents moved to the United States from Korea before he was born and have worked tirelessly to give him and his older sister the kind of life they only could have wished for. Our protagonist wants to make his parents proud, but there's a constant cultural and generational tension between them. Frank wonders why his parents moved to the U.S. in the first place if, in the end, they want their kids to act like they're still in Korea. This gets especially tricky when it comes to dating. Frank's parents insist that he only date nice Korean girls. But Frank follows his heart to Brit, a white girl from his AP classes who very much does not match his parents' idea of what his girlfriend should look like. Along with his family friend and fellow first-generation American, Joy, Frank masterminds a fake dating scheme that will allow him to keep dating Brit without letting his parents know that he is breaking their cardinal rule. Things seem to be going okay for a while. Until they're not. Larger forces of love and tragedy intervene, and what starts as a notably diverse teen romantic comedy turns into an emotional story of identity, loss, values, and family. Frank is forced to think more than ever about his identity as both Korean and American. He's faced with the hard reality of the sacrifices his parents made for him, as well as their mortality. He has to make hard choices. He also learns that there are many kinds of love stories outside of romance. Love stories with the family members who made you who you are, and with friends, like Frank's best pal Q, who help you make better sense of the world around you. I am thrilled to be kicking off New Reads November with this book, and so happy to introduce you to this week's guest, Kara Meiselman. Kara is the co-programming lead for Girls' Night In, a self-care community and newsletter that seeks to help women relax, recharge, and cultivate relationships. She helps run GNI Reads, the Girls' Night In monthly book club with meetups in more than 10 cities across the U.S. and Canada. Kara is an obsessive reader with a passion for fiction. Before Girls' Night In, she worked for over 10 years as a brand marketer for companies like ClassPass and Skillshare. You can follow her on Instagram at Kara Izzel and learn more about her at www.karameiselman.com. Learn more about what's going on behind the scenes at SSR by following along on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. You don't want to find yourself out of the loop on all of the exciting news coming for New Reads November and beyond. If you love the show and haven't yet left a five-star rating or review on iTunes, I would so appreciate it if you did. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps to spread the word about the podcast. You can also support SSR by checking out our merch at www.ssrpodcast.com shop or by visiting www.patreon.com ssrpodcast to learn more about Patreon. When you become a Patreon patron, you contribute a few dollars per month, as little as one dollar, to SSR's production in exchange for rewards like newsletters, bonus episodes, book club chats, and more. If you you already support the pod on Patreon, please do know how much I appreciate you. If the titles we're discussing on New Reads November haven't yet hit your radar, why not listen to them? I can even hook you up with a discount code. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. When I shop for audiobooks on Libro.fm, I support my favorite Brooklyn indie, Books Are Magic, but you can choose any store you want. 
And for what it's worth, I've heard really great things about the Frankly in Love audiobook. Happy listening. Time to get started with our second ever New Reads November. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Kara. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Very exciting day because you are debuting our second round of New Reads November. This is the first episode of the November series, and I personally am very excited to have you. I would be excited to have you anyway, but it's that much more exciting because you're the first of New Reads November. Yes, I can't wait. I think, you know, I love the concept of the podcast just because, you know, even as I think about things 10 years ago, that are viewed in such a different light and have such a different meaning in today's world. So I love that you're revisiting it. But I also love New Reads November because there's so many amazing books, especially Yaw books. So I'm excited to dive in. When we are starting New Reads November, it's like an interesting mindset shift for me because the conversations that we have are so different than the ones that I'm used to preparing for for like the rest of the year. But it also gives me a chance to like be cool because I feel like I'm actually very behind the times on what's new in the YA world for somebody who's like pretty engaged in the book world as the host and producer of this podcast, I am sometimes shocked by how little I know about the new books that are coming out. And so when you suggested Frankly in Love to me, I am sort of embarrassed to say that it was new to me. I had sent you some suggestions based on just like what I'd seen selling a lot and what had been on the top of a lot of YA lists so far this year. And you had the brilliant idea to do Frankly in Love. And now having read the book, I'm like even more embarrassed that I didn't know anything about it. Well, I think that's totally fair. He's a debut author, which is very exciting. And I will say that my uh, intentions for picking him were somewhat misguided. I really am such a big fan of his wife, Nicola Yoon, because his wife is such a great author. I don't know that that necessarily makes him a great author, but it was enough to sell me on his new book. And I was super excited to kind of just like hear his side of it and kind of see this like perfect, you know, YA writing couple duo uh, come to life. Yeah. Talk about a literary power couple. I I mean, this is like a whole new age of the two of them now that we've seen what he can do. Having read the book and feeling a little embarrassed that I didn't know about it, I did some research sort of about like how he came to be this debut author. I don't know how much you know about his story, but here's what I got. It's from this article that I found in Entertainment Weekly, and I'll include a link to the article in the show notes. But he had sent the manuscript for this debut novel to publishers. Um, His agent had basically been like, it could be a couple weeks, Uh, you know, like don't expect them to rush. We should just you know, wait around. So they sent the manuscript and David went to jury duty the next day, like as we have to do civic responsibility and all that. Um, and wasn't expecting anything. 
because he had been told, like, cool your jets. And apparently, according to the article, as he was sitting in jury duty, his phone kept going off and he was ignoring it because I guess that's what you have to do when you're in jury duty. And he finally was able to step out and he saw that he was getting all of these emails from his agent. Basically what happened was that he became like the hottest debut author of 2018 when the manuscript went out last year. Apparently there was an intense bidding war among 10 publishing houses, which is wild. Penguin Young Readers ended up buying the book as part of a two book deal. A few months after that, there's a sale of the movie rights to Outway Entertainment and Paramount Players a year before the book even came out. So like this guy's sitting in jury duty. He's illustrated his wife's YA books, which is very cool, but I'm sure that his expectations about what was going to happen with his manuscript were like mixed at best. I mean, I would imagine that like feeling like you're following in your partner's footsteps in some ways might just cause some mixed feelings anyway. But then to have this crazy reaction must have been such a wild experience. Yeah, I'm actually, I hadn't heard that story before, so thank you for sharing it. But something I love about Nicola's books is you can kind of tell by the way she writes. She's writing from her own personal experience, and she's written a little bit of her relationship with David into the books that she's written previously. And so one of the things I was really excited about in his story was almost hearing it from his point of view and seeing, you know, kind of more of the male side of things. And I think that we definitely got that in this book. Yeah. So similar to Nicola, listeners, if you don't know, Nicola is an amazing author in her own right. Everything, everything is an amazing book. And um, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I know that there was a movie that came out two years ago that sort of gave the book a second life in like an even more mainstream way. But um, just like Nicola, from what I've read, David Yoon inserted a lot of his own experience into his book, Frankly in Love, to sort of like give the very bare bones summary before we get into it. Frankly in Love is about a high school senior named Frank. Frank Lee is his name. And so that leaves room for lots of fun little word plays, which we do get throughout the book. And in a lot of ways, it's like your basic senior year of high school story. Like Frank is super smart. He runs with a very intense group of kids at school and he's doing things like prepping for the SATs and thinking about what college he wants to go to and trying to figure out what sorts of relationships he wants to invest time in. So like some standard YA stuff. But what's especially fascinating and like so beautifully done in this book is that there's an incredibly deep exploration of what it's like to be a second generation American. Frank's parents immigrated to the U.S. from Korea before he was born and they own a grocery store and just essentially work their asses off. His dad literally never misses a day of work. And it's a story that I think a lot of us have probably absorbed in different forms. This story of parents who have like sacrificed sacrificed everything so that their kids can have a better life, but also the tension that happens when parents are towing the line between like being fully present in America and also wanting to hang on to their roots in their home country and how that plays out in the dynamics between parents and children and then how the children then take that experience out into the world with their peers who maybe don't share a similar immigrant experience in their home and the depth of like every single relationship in this book is super impressive so it's not just like a rom-com about Frank's first girlfriend there's like these amazing relationships that Dave David Yoon paints between Frank and his parents and his sister and it all just like comes together to create like such a rich story of what it's like to be a part of this family and to be a part of the culture that Frank's figuring out how to navigate at this time in his life. Yeah I think that one of the things I love so much about the book is hearing about 
um, and learning about Korean cultures and the experience of being a second generation immigrant. The scene when um, Frank goes to the Korean restaurant with Brit's parents. Yep. That scene was so cringeworthy, but also kind of one of my favorite scenes in terms of just like educating myself in terms of the experiences that he goes through, even as someone who feels that he's not super Korean, he's not super American, he doesn't know necessarily where he fits in, but like the expectation that um, everybody else sort of puts on him, not even just from his parents, but from everybody in his life, uh, really like shines through in that scene. Yeah, that scene really struck me too. And as as I always do on episodes where we're talking about stories like this and perspectives like this, I do want to reiterate to listeners, I am a white woman. I am not a second generation American. My family has been in this country for several generations. And so, so much of this is extremely foreign to me as an experience. Um, and I always like to lay that out there at the top of the episode episode because this is all new for me. Like I'm learning a lot. I feel like I too had this great cultural education from reading this book. But then even saying that I feel weird because so much of what I learned from Frank is that like everything doesn't have to be a cultural education for white people. Um, And that's the, the frustration he feels in that scene that you mentioned at the restaurant. He's dating this girl named Brit who is not Korean, whole drama with his parents. And Brit and her parents invite him to go out to dinner and they go out to a Korean restaurant and Brit's dad in like all good intentions. I mean, he's a really cool guy and is like very open to Frank and is very curious about his life and just like is definitely pro Brit and Frank. But he spends their whole dinner like asking Frank questions about the menu and basically just expects him to go ahead and order everything for them. And that was sort of like a convicting moment a little bit for me, not because I've ever done that because I haven't, but I think it it sort of caused me to pause and be like, oh, I actually see how that's offensive or I actually see how that puts somebody in an uncomfortable position. Um, And I really like the fact that David Yoon isolates these like very small moments and conversations and shows how these misunderstandings can happen in those instances rather than making it all so big picture because I think like that's how we really learn and start to see how experiences differ and um no I just I really like the way he captured Frank's challenges and like Frank's own personal journey through isolated incidents like that I thought that was really effective yeah and I mean as somebody who is not a young adult anymore. Like I am also a white woman. I'm in my thirties. So, uh, when I read YA books and I kind of see passages like this, I sort of love that he is really illustrating how the responsibility should be on you and your privilege to educate yourself. And it's not necessarily on the other person to always teach you or kind of give you that education that's necessary to kind of make the world a better place. And so, uh, seeing a small scene like that, where in the grand scheme of the book, it's not actually a huge scene it really stuck out to me because I felt like that is going to be like a really teachable moment for people to be able to like internalize that and be like reevaluating how they behave in their own lives. A hundred percent. And I think that this particular interaction is even more interesting because of Brit's parents' politics and sort of the way they present themselves. And I read about this a little bit in some of the reviews and like think pieces that I found about the book, which again, I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. This is all extra complicated because Brit's parents are like these cool liberal Californians. And so we're meant to believe that they consider themselves quote unquote woke, which is like a problematic word in its own way. But I think that the fact that like these are not people that 
are sort of knowingly ignorant or willfully ignorant to other people's experiences and cultures. These are not people who are closed off to meeting people that are different than they are. Like these are people that are open and they probably think that they're like being kind to Frank by asking if they can share in this part of his like family and his life, but they're just going about it all wrong. And I like, I like the fact that their approach to life, like just complicates the way that we think about the whole conversation. Agreed, because I think the other big conversation is sort of the way Frank's parents are represented. And, you know, as second generation immigrants, uh, you know, they often say things that are racist or insensitive. And the way they view the world is, you know, not as progressive as something like Brit's family, but to then see, you know, that everybody has some learning to do and some improvements to make, and that it's not as black and white as it seems. I think that seeing both Frank's parents and Brit's parents interact like that was really interesting. Yeah, there's so much nuance and like so many stereotypes that would have been very easy to be written into this book are flipped on their head, which I appreciated. Like you said, you know, it would have been very easy for Frank to look at his parents and understand that maybe like there was this generational gap, but also to like not necessarily recognize the fact that they were racist in certain ways. And it would have been equally as easy for Frank to look at Brit's parents and just sort of like assume that they were coming from a place of lacking understanding and lack of interest in him. But no, it's much more complicated. Like his parents, even though they have raised him and loved him and given him everything that they have, he sees that they're imperfect and that their views are not necessarily right. And he sees that somebody like Brit, who has these parents that are trying everything they can to be out of their comfort zone, don't necessarily get it. And I think that that nuance is so important because that's how it actually is in life. And I think like so many of the people that I interact with, admittedly on a day-to-day basis, probably come from a place like Brit's parents, you know, like I'm friends and close with so many people that are very liberal and really try to educate themselves about cultural issues and are really like trying to be understanding and like respectful and curious and engaged in all of those things. But like that doesn't necessarily mean that every conversation that they have is 100% respectful or makes everyone comfortable. Like we're all imperfect and trying to figure this out. Yeah, I totally agree. I also think that the relationship he has with his parents, while he doesn't always agree with everything that they do or say, and he actually has, you know, some big issues in terms of how they've reacted to his sister's relationship and how they treat him. But regardless of all of that, they still have so much love in that family. And Frank is constantly talking about and doing things out of the love for his parents and making decisions based on that. And so it does show the full picture of, you know, you don't have to necessarily agree with everything and kind of stand behind every issue that they are feeling, but still get the same impressions of like love and the family relationship. Yeah. One of the things we learned really early on is that Frank's dad has never told him that he loves him. And his mom has only ever said, I love you to him twice. Like he can count that. And he's very aware of that. And I think that this is an interesting conversation just about like how people express themselves. And there's a cultural implication to all of this too. Like the way that we express the way we feel about people is rooted in our family histories and our backgrounds and it is passed down from generation to generation and I think like Frank does understand that just because his parents have never said I love you to him or don't say very frequently he understands that that doesn't mean that they don't care about him and he doesn't have a lot of angst about that like he's frustrated with them and he doesn't like that they can't see their own shortcomings and like can't see their own lack of understanding but he also like trusts that they have his best interests at heart and he sees them working so 
hard and he sees them like sacrificing so much of themselves so that he and his sister can chase their dreams and be successful and he like knows that that's what love can mean in their house and and I think that like that's refreshing because so many of the older YA books that I read I feel like you get this angst about like well my parents never tell me that they love me or like I don't feel appreciated it's not necessarily that Frank doesn't feel appreciated he just like understands that there's this communication gap that he's probably not going to be able to cross with his parents who just come from a totally different place than he does in more ways than one and um, he also respects his parents which I liked I liked that there was this emphasis on his parents work ethic and how that comes up again and again throughout the book. Again, like his parents never miss a day of work, even when they probably should. They are there like seven days a week and his dad is like constantly mopping. He refuses to sit down. And so I think this is a great example too of like you can have disagreements with your parents or with anybody that you love and you can like see the gaps in your beliefs but you can also respect them and understand that like there are core values that you will take with you and learn from them. I think that that understanding is what makes him and Joy's relationship so strong and the the premise of the book is sort of like this fake dating trope which we've read over and over again and you always kind of assume that it was going to end up this way but Uh, you know, with joy, it almost feels a little bit different because they just have so much in common. And it feels like they probably should have been together from the start, like without having to to do the fake dating part at all. Yeah. And I, I think we should talk more about this whole trope because it is fun to start with. Like when the whole story gets going about the dating and the fake dating, you think it's kind of just going to be like your standard YA rom-com because as you mentioned, it starts with a lie, you know? Frank is interested in dating Brit, who we've mentioned briefly before. She's white, and she shares a lot of his AP classes. He kind of lives in these two social groups. So he has the group that he calls the Limbos, and those are the Korean-American kids that he hangs out with at these so-called gatherings, where I think about once a month, um, his family gets together with other families that immigrated around the same time. And so he's grown up with these kids that are sharing a similar experience to his, but they don't really, like, associate in school, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Like, you have your family friends that maybe, like, you wouldn't necessarily hang out with with your quote-unquote real friends and then you have your school friends who you choose so that's I think a familiar dynamic for a lot of people so he has the limbos but then he also has the APs spelled A-P-E-Y-S but sort of referring to this culture of advanced placement classes that they're all very into and Brit is one of the APs at first she just seems like super intense and I will say if I have one criticism about this book it's that I feel like we went so quickly from Frank just finding Brit to be a little bit intense and over the top to him like wanting to date her that I sort of like was lost in those couple of pages. But I also think that's like pretty reflective of what it's like sometimes in high school to start dating somebody. Like I remember the first couple of people that I like went out with, I like thought about it that morning. Like that morning, I remember looking at them and being like, oh, like maybe if they asked me out, I would say yes. And then the next day we were going out. And I think that's how it works when you're a teenager sometimes. So if that's my criticism, (laughs) it's really not a big deal. So he starts dating Brit and he's really interested in her, but he realizes that he can never let his parents know what's going on because their major rule is that he needs to be dating girls that are Korean American. And on a parallel plane, Joy, who is one of the limbos, so her family comes to the gatherings and immigrated around the same time that Frank's family did, she has been dating this guy named Wu for a few years and he's Chinese. And something that maybe a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think about or don't think about is that like these families are not interested in their kids 
dating anyone who's not it, it it doesn't really matter if you're Chinese if you're Japanese if you're black if you're it doesn't matter they don't want anybody who's not Korean dating their children which I think that's something that I admittedly like hadn't given that much thought to before and I like that David Yoon put such a fine point on it like this is just what it is there's this racism that exists with all ethnicities like it's not just white people our parents are just very specific about who they want us to be with and it's important to them that we preserve this community and no one else they don't want their kids to pursue anyone else and joy's parents can't find out about Wu, and it's kind of just like an easy plan for joy and frank to pretend that they're dating so that they can keep Wu and brit secret and this is where the plot thickens what did you think about brit and frank's relationship so i actually agreed with you in terms of the love story itself being slightly underdeveloped i think like he falls for brit sort of out of nowhere i think he also falls for joy sort of out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and you know i think part of it comes from like frank has never really had attention from girls before And so maybe it's just the attention that he's getting is really kind of what pushes him over the edge to make him interested. But like that was definitely one of my bigger criticisms of the book that I felt the relationships were sort of they just sort of appeared out of thin air for a lot of these things. And so while it may be something that you feel when you're a teenager, I don't necessarily remember how I felt about those kinds of things. But for Frank, it felt like it kind of came from out of the blue. He just kind of got that impression. And so I think with Brit's relationship and Frank's relationship, it was definitely escalating quicker than I expected it to. And then I felt exactly the same way uh, about Joy. But what I did like in general was sort of all of the characters, no matter who they were, were really likable characters. Like whether it was Brit or Joy or Wu, like every single character, even Q, I really liked all of them. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about their stories. And I think maybe my criticism is that I didn't get enough of some of these stories. I wish I got more out of them. I wonder if in his future books, David Yoon is going to like stay in this universe and just explore different characters kind of like Becky Albertalli did with um, Simon and then Simon and the Homo Sapiens Agenda was I think the first book and then Leah on the Offbeat came next like it was all in the same universe just from the perspective of different characters and I think because David Yoon is like working with characters that come from all different backgrounds I think that he set himself up to do that with this universe if he wants to. I hope that's his intention because another one of my big criticisms of the book was generally just the treatment that Q got in the whole book, I really wanted more from him. And I felt like he was sort of thrown in as like this LGBTQ character because so many YA books have an LGBTQ storyline. But like we didn't really get a lot of of him until the very end of the book. Um, And there just could have been so much more done with that. And so if his intention is to maybe do like a spinoff where we learn more about Q and his background and kind of like his story, I would certainly have a different appreciation for it. But I definitely left feeling frustrated that I felt like Q got kind of like this injustice done to him and like a poor treatment of how he was represented in the book. I could definitely see that. I think that Q sort of serves two purposes in the book. The first, as you mentioned, was to bring in this LGBTQ plus storyline, which is very important. The more storylines we see like that in New YA, the better, although it's always better when they're more developed. I think the other purpose that he served as Frank's best friend is to be this kind of like sounding board for a lot of the issues that Frank's having earlier on, thinking about his experience with his parents and race in general. They have a conversation about black and white as these constructs and how like as long as white people continue to just like go about their business calling different groups black and white without thinking about the nuances that actually exist within those communities, then like there's never going to be a broader understanding of where people come from. So I think like 
having Q as a black character who happened to be Frank's best friend and existed in his world at school did like open up some opportunities for Frank to like just monologue a little bit about his feelings about race and ethnicity in general, which was helpful, but I can see how it felt a little bit underdeveloped. And I will say that like I guessed this sort of big Q twist at the end fairly early on. Listeners, if you haven't read the book, throughout the course of the story, Frank's constantly asking Q who he's interested. Like, I know I have all these girl problems, but like, let me help you. Like, who are you into? It's senior year. Like, I'm sure that you want to take somebody to the prom. Like, who do you want to kiss? And he's sort of like needling him about it throughout the whole book. And Q constantly brushes it off and is like, oh, you know, they're not available. Sorry, like can't tell you I don't want to share unless I can actually like pursue it and then in one of the final scenes of the book before they leave for college when Frank goes to say goodbye to Q before he heads to Stanford Q kisses him we find out that Q has been in love with Frank all along and I picked up on that pretty early did you find it to be surprising no I also sort of picked up on it pretty early and part of me was hoping that I was wrong because I wanted like there to be more of a development for him. Like I almost felt that it was added as like a token character, which I really hate normally. That's why I I kind of picked up on it very early on. It was clearly like, okay, obviously he's not talking about it. And frankly, like I've experienced very similar situations in my life growing up when like someone doesn't want to talk about it. Like that's typically maybe they are experiencing like something different from what you're experiencing and they're a little shy about it. And so I was almost hoping he was going to take it in a different direction and catch me off guard, which didn't necessarily come to fruition. So I think that you know, I hadn't really thought about it before about kind of the spinoff books and what would come next. But um, I, I almost hope he's listening and that he takes your advice and writes a new book about Q so we can really dive in and like learn about this experience from his perspective, which I think would be like a whole book on its own. Well, he might be listening. I'm going to tag him on Twitter and I already have the Penguin Teen group responding to my Instagram. So fingers crossed. David, if you're out there, hi. David Yoon. Hey, what's up? (laughs) What's up? Yeah, so I I agree about Q. I think the one thing that I appreciated about that twist at the end is that I think it's something that we see fairly frequently with boy-girl couples in high school stories. I can't even count the number of like YA books or teen movies or TV shows where like you see that twist at the end where like the boy-girl best friends reveal that one has a crush on the other at the 11th hour and like one of them kisses the other last minute taking the other one off guard like that's such a trope Um, and we see it all the time we've seen it for years and years so I think I appreciated the fact that like we put a spin on that that will that will really allow the LGBTQ community to feel seen and heard and I think that's so important but I do wish it had been more of a surprise yeah and I think your point about like that being a trope there's the fake dating trope uh, I think he really stuffed in a lot of different kind of classic YA angles into this book when the book starts and you think it's about this fake dating uh, and then it kind of takes a turn in the second half of the book I almost felt like it was two different kinds of books like we started out with with almost like a love story. But then, you know, we have this family trauma that Frank goes through and the book sort of takes a new lens and is really more about the family and all of the drama that comes with it in that lens. And so uh, the pacing of the book was really interesting to me because you sort of are reading it and halfway through, you're sort of like, well, what, what comes next? Like we sort of have the resolution that you expect to come from the fake dating trope of, yeah, that the, the couple that you, that were fake dating got together. Great. Now what? And so the fact that David Yoon added in 
almost like a second piece of this puzzle kind of changed the book for me in a lot of ways because it it became less of a love story and like a rom-com and more just about like the real reason he wrote the book, which is an expose on kind of like the family. Yeah. And to your point earlier about all of the characters being so likable. For the first chunk of the book when he was dating Brit, I was like, great. Like, I'm rooting for you guys. Brit's cool. Frank's cool. This seems to be working. I don't know what these additional 250 pages are going to be about, but like, I feel like we got here. Like, I love this relationship. I hope you guys stay together forever. And I think it's a credit to David Yoon's writing and just his characterization that like, I was rooting for them. And then I ended up rooting for Frank's second romantic relationship with Joy and I was rooting for all of the family relationships to get on a good track and that it's rare I think that I have that experience with a book because usually authors will set up sort of like you know the right love interest and the wrong love interest and like there's one that you're clearly supposed to root for and one that you're supposed to root against and it's hard to do that in this book which I think was really special. You're even rooting for Wu enjoy at some point because like Wu is such a great guy too and you know I think to your point I didn't necessarily have a preference on who ended up with who because I just think like I just wanted all of them to be happy and whoever that ended up with was fine with me. I totally agree. So things take a turn. Um, As you said, about halfway through the book, Britt and Frank have been dating for a little while. They've already said, I love you, which did escalate quite quickly. And it seems like the fake dating scheme is going fine. Like the parents are none the wiser. There is sort of an awkward interaction at Frank's house because Britt wants to come over and meet his parents. And he like can't make it seem like a one-on-one meeting. I don't know if we've said this yet, but Britt doesn't know about the plan. Like Frank has not revealed that his parents can't know that they're dating. So Britt, like being a very sweet, respectful girl is like, I'd like to come over and meet your parents. Frank sort of dodges that by asking his mom to throw a Korean barbecue for all of his friends. And so Britt's sort of just one among many people who come over. And it broke my heart when she was like, she showed up in a dress and, you know, was definitely trying to impress his mom. And his mom was like, why are you so dressed up? Like, this is so weird. And then Brit really wants to be helpful, which I so remember, like, in high school in particular when I would date boys. And I really didn't date a lot of boys. But the few that I did date, like, they're so... You have so few ways to, like, impress someone's parents. And I do remember going over to their houses and being like, okay, what can I do to, like help their mom like that that's sort of your only opportunity to make a good impression sometimes so I felt for her when she was so proud that she finally was allowed to help wash dishes like she was like oh I'm in that's so cool and his parents just kind of don't notice what's going on they think that he's dating joy but there's a traumatic incident that happens in the family as you referenced Kara Frank's dad is shot at his store and Frank gets a call from his mom and it's the same night actually that he and Britt say I love you to each other so he's kind of on cloud nine he's had this amazing few hours and like is feeling so in love but he ends up having to go to the hospital to see how his dad's doing and there's a lot going on here because his relationship with his dad is so complicated I pulled out a few quotes from the book that I thought really illustrated the just like tension between Frank and his dad one of them was this talking to dad can be like this you wonder if you're actually talking to someone or just sitting in on an inner monologue that happens to be spoken aloud. In these moments, I do a mental shrug, stop talking, and just try to let the jong do its thing. Jong is kind of hard to pin down. I mean, I'm not exactly expert on all things Korean, but I guess the closest meaning would be something like bonding or affection. I mostly understand it as shutting the hell up and just being together. Jong is nowhere near as satisfying as all the hugs and kisses and I love yous other kids get from their parents, but hey, it's what I got, so I'll take what I can get. We get these scenes of him kind of like awkwardly sitting with his dad before the shooting, 
and looking for things to talk about, which I think a lot of teenagers can relate to, obviously taking out the cultural divide, but it can be hard to build relationships with your parents when you're at this teenage period in your life. But Frank is like, oh shit, I have spent all this time feeling awkward around my dad and now what if he dies? Yeah, I think that was a real wake-up call for him. I also think that it kind of put him on the spot to figure out what he was doing with Brit. When we said before, like, all the characters were really likable, I will say the exception being Frank was sometimes very unlikable just by the way he was treating Brit and the secrecy and kind of the jump arounds that he was making this poor girl go through without her even knowing it. And I think that when his dad got shot, he had to sort of drop all the acts and really figure out what was important and had to stop doing all of the things that he thought were really important, but now kind of put into perspective. And so, you know, I think that the the shooting was sort of just the tip of the iceberg in terms of him finding out about his dad's other health issues and then the big blow up at the gatherings. But uh, there was a lot of Frank's life that he was keeping from Brit. He never even told her about the gatherings. He hasn't told her about like his parents' feelings about dating non-Koreans. And so, you know, part of it is if you can't show your full self, then you're not really in a relationship. And for Brit, she was putting everything on the table and so, you know, of course, this is young love. For Brit, she was put in a situation that was a little bit unfair for her. And I think that that this, the catalyst to break Frank up from this was um, his dad's shooting. Yeah, he says, I realize there's only a tiny handful of people I really, really know who really, really know me back. Q is one. After tonight, Joy is officially another. I know Brit, but Brit doesn't know the me of last night. And that's my fault. Just like exactly. such a powerful little group of sentences. He doesn't call Brit after the shooting. And he's like thinking about whether or not he should. Like you kind of, every couple of paragraphs, you kind of check in and see that he's like wondering if he's doing the right thing by not telling her. Again, they've just had this like lovey-dovey night of saying I love you. And now he's dealing with this very intense health situation with his parents. But Joy knows. He tells Joy. And Joy comes and supports him. And he says to Joy, seriously, what if he died? He would just get erased and the world would just go on and he knows so little about me and I know so little about him and fuck, if he died, then that would be it. Just like, oh, come to America, have this kid named Frank, work at a store, die. You know, dad never talks about his childhood, almost never. He's already a huge question mark and if he fucking died, I wouldn't even know who I was missing. And this is a conversation he can only have with Joy because he feels like Britt wouldn't understand and she probably wouldn't, especially because, again, we've talked about how her parents are this like open book, super chill, super cool. They're very much about feelings. I'm sure her dad says that he loves her all the time. And so it's it's not even just the fact that they share this experience of being Korean-American. I think that he and Joy understand the very particular like nature of these relationships that they have with their parents. I totally agree. And I think that, I think Frank admitting that it's his fault that Britt doesn't know him um, is very big of him. I think he's not blaming anybody but himself. And he knows that he's intentionally keeping this part away from her. And I do agree with you that like, if she did know, I don't know if she'd necessarily understand or she would very much try to understand, but she might never get there. And that's okay. I think for Frank in this moment, he needed to be seen fully and be able to be vulnerable and honest and open. And the only person he felt like he could do that with was Joy. 
And I'm happy he had her. And I I do appreciate the fact that he's pretty self-aware. And that was something that I saw in a bunch of the reviews and the think pieces that I saw before you and I started talking today is that a lot of people feel like he is a breath of fresh air as a character just because, especially as like a teen boy, he is aware that he's not always doing the right thing. He's pretty in tune with his feelings, especially for a kid who has grown up in a house that's not especially emotional. Did you find that he was especially self-aware or emotionally intelligent? I did. I think that I really liked his inner monologues and I enjoyed sort of hearing his thought process. While I didn't necessarily always agree with his decisions and I was sometimes shaking my book being like, please just tell her or do this thing. I do think that he understood the consequences of everything that he was doing. The one thing I sort of regret is, you know, he's able to open up to Joy and they have this amazing friendship that eventually turns into a relationship. But even before that, you know, I I wanted more of him to look at the the limbo kids and like the kids from the gatherings and open up to them more. I think like they sort of are stuck together all this time and have spent years being kind of friends, but not really. And they all sort of know a little bit about each other. But I think that I was hoping his relationship with joy would open up this realization for him that these are really people who get me and understand me and know me better than a lot of people at school and who I'm friends with at school know me. And so I was hoping for a little bit more of like those deeper relationships. Maybe there's room for spin-off books on more of the gathering kids. I was hoping that there would be a little bit of like deeper connections made through this whole experience. I hadn't thought about that, but I can see what you're saying. Like he sort of like let his guards down with joy. And so maybe that would have inspired him to do the same with the rest of the limbo kids. But maybe we'll get more of that down the road. David, hey. David, you're listening. <laughs> so he rushes somewhat, I would say. I mean, he definitely rushes into this new relationship with joy. He hasn't even officially broken up with Brit when they start kissing at this wedding, this wedding of a family friend, um, which I think will be a great scene in the movie because the wedding was so extravagant and over the top and I really wanted to see it play out in real time. So I'm excited to see that in adaptation whenever it happens. But Joy reveals to him that she's broken up with Wu and it's a very emotional moment and he kisses her and he's like, oh, right, I'm still with Brit. So he has to deal with that later on. And he basically just explains to Brit that like he is sorry that what he's going through is hurting her, but he has to be honest to what's in his heart. And I appreciate that. Like he really wasn't making excuses. He was honest and like apologized, which I think is a really great balance to strike in a real life breakup as well. Just to be like, I'm not saying it's right. Like, I'm sorry. It sucks for you. I didn't want to hurt your feelings, but like, I also have to be honest about what's going on with me and what's happening in my life and this is just not going to work anymore. I feel like he could have been a little bit more straightforward about what was happening with Joy, but I guess in the end he did admit to her that they had been lying the whole time. It's just, it sucks for Brit that she had to find out like after he had already broken up with her. Yeah, and I think as a reader, like it it makes a lot of sense for us. Like we kind of saw this coming with him and Joy. We kind of want them to get together. Obviously we would have preferred if they had broken up before the kiss so there wasn't cheating or anything like that but when I think about it from Brit's perspective it just feels like totally out of nowhere for her she has no context as to like what else he's going through he has no context to this relationship with Joy she has no idea that he's not being his full self around her and like from her perspective they have this amazing relationship they have the best dates they have so much fun together they say I love you and so I totally think that her uh, reaction 
and being upset and all of that makes a lot of sense for her character because, you know, from her perspective, she has no idea what went wrong. And it seems like everything was perfect. Um, and it's really because Frank had been withholding so much information from her. Uh, and I feel bad for her. But again, testament to the writing and the characterization I, like, wasn't that mad at Frank about it. And I tend to get, like, really mad at characters when stuff like this happens. But I wasn't mad at Frank. I wasn't mad at Joy. I was, like, anxious to see what would happen with their relationship. And I was pretty quickly rooting for them as well, even though I felt icky about how the whole thing had happened. I was like, oh, actually, you guys are super cute together. You seem much more compatible in a lot of ways. You share a lot of experiences. And maybe all of this will just be easier and just because something's easy doesn't mean that it's bad. And Frank actually says something to that effect. He says, I think I probably liked you for longer than I realized, but I unconsciously nixed you as a possibility from the start because I was paranoid about our parents trying to micromanage us because that's what old school Korean parents do when families, you know, merge. So I was like, okay, I understand that you have a lot of complicated feelings about getting together with Joy because you are holding her at arm's length because in some ways, like, doing what your parents want you to do is extremely, like, you feel like you're letting yourself down sometimes as a teen by following the rules. But I was happy for them, and I was glad that they had come to this place where maybe they wouldn't have to lie so much, and I was like, oh, life's going to be easier for you guys. So I was on board. I was definitely happy for them, too, um, but I do, I did struggle a little bit with how it all went down and all those things, and also I did feel for Britt's character. I think part of it for me was I knew Britt was going to bounce back and recover. Like, the way her character was written, she's just such a happy, positive person, um, and she is certainly not going to let something like this bring her down for too long, and so even when Britt was feeling really angry and maybe did things that she looks back on and regrets, I was still rooting for Britt, too. I think, like, she'll come out on top. Yeah, at the end, she, like, seemed good. She was, like, ready to go off to college. She'd gotten into her first-choice school. It seemed like, luckily, she and Frank ended on pretty good terms, all things considered, at the end of the school year. Like, they nodded at each other at graduation, and were like, okay, great. Like, let's go off and do our own thing. So Joy and Frank are having this new, exciting relationship. He also says, I love you to her pretty quickly. He loses his virginity to her. Um, Always, like, a fun scene to read in a YA book. Like, that excitement that he's experiencing. And the chapter after they have sex for the first first time where he's like you know can people tell like do people know does my dad know you know I think that he's referencing some other story or movie where he was like you know boys don't usually feel any different like it doesn't matter to a guy after he's had sex for the first time because there's nothing like physically really happening to them but he's like no I'm totally different like everything's changed and I think that that's probably relatable for a lot of teens and adults in hindsight to like you know sort of navigate those feelings the day after hours after I thought that was written really well. I agree. And I think you often hear it from the girl's point of view instead of hear it from a guy. And it's not just like, cool, I had sex for the first time. But, you know, he really has like this big emotional connection and sort of like this emotional epiphany about his life and all of that. I think that we need more stories like that in the world. I agree. So he's having this relationship with Joy, but in some ways the pivot point of he and Joy getting together was his dad shooting and so many other things happen with his dad at the same point. So um, his dad's recovering eerily quickly from being shot. Um, He's back at work like almost right away and is not complaining and is sort of continuing business as usual, literally. But we get hints that things are not all great with his dad's health. There are these mysterious vitamins that his dad's taking that he's not sharing much about. And his mom seems a little nervous and his dad kind of like keeps coming back from mysterious places, seeming a little bit off his game. And fast forward and we find out that 
that his dad has actually been diagnosed with very serious cancer. Sort of in all of the testing that's happened after he was shot, the doctors have identified that the cancer is moving really quickly and he probably only has six to 12 months to live, which is so heavy. And again, like similar to this moment that Frank has after his dad gets shot, he's like questioning everything about his relationship with his parents and wondering like, do I even know them? Like what more could I have done to like understand their story? They've done all this work. They've come to this country. They've built this new life for me and people don't know their story because I don't know their story. And there's a lot of like very existential monologuing about that, which was really interesting to read, but obviously like really hard to read. Um, And Frank's just kind of like trying to figure out how he wants to spend the remaining time he has with his dad. And Joy is also trying to figure out what her role in that is, which is a really complicated spot too. Yeah, as somebody, so I have lost a parent in my life and I found that the writing was really relatable in terms of reevaluating your family and what that means to you in the grand scheme of other things in your life. And also like how you interact with other people and the relationships that you have. And, you know, they're trying to figure out how they fit in and how to make you better and all of that. And so I thought that that part of the story was really well done. And I also liked that the story was really focused more on Frank's family than Frank's love life. And even in the conclusion, like it still kind of comes back to that. And it's about Frank, not about who Frank's dating, uh, but about Frank sort of figuring out himself as part of this family and, you know, what's important in life. And I think even when the relationship with his sister, he has such a great relationship with his sister. He misses her so much. Uh, his sister married uh, somebody who was black, so his parents had sort of excommunicated her, and they hadn't spoken since. And to have her brought back into the fold kind of really just hammers home at, like, what's super important in life. And it kind of – it doesn't matter, like, what where you come from, if you're Korean, if you're black, if you're white. Like, at that point, when you have sort of this big family um, trauma that you're going through – the things that are really important shine through, and I very much appreciated that. I agree. I liked that his family became their own kind of love story in the second half of the book, and Joy kind of has to step aside out of necessity. I really liked the way her perspective was written. Um, my now husband, unfortunately, lost his dad to cancer relatively early in our relationship, and I was aware that his dad was sick basically from like the minute we started dating when we were 18. And that was something that like I didn't really know how to handle for the three years that followed while his dad was still around because nobody tells you when you're 18 or 19 like what your role is in that situation. Um, I wanted to have a relationship with both of his parents. I also wanted to be respectful of the fact that he probably needed a different kind of distance and different kinds of like one-on-one time with his family. And I also had to learn how to like pick up on his cues that like maybe it wasn't such a great day and I shouldn't really try to ask questions or get involved. So I enjoyed reading Joy's perspective and Joy's take on all of this and even the moment when she decides to like call it quits with Frank because Frank's like, kind of trying to like continue the relationship even through all the stress with his dad and all the trauma that they're managing because he wants to do it all and he has these dreams of this like one last magical summer before he goes to college he wants to have this like romantic few months with joy before they go their separate ways and joy is the one who's finally like this is too much pressure like for me to fit into your life right now as much as I love you I care about your family all of those things like it's too much pressure for me to try to like take you away from them like I feel like we're not actually having that much fun we're putting so many expectations on ourselves in the limited time that we have together and that was such like a mature move on her part I agree and I think that I read some complaints that 
people didn't like the way it ended because they didn't end up together. Um, but I thought it was very real and I appreciated that. And I think that so many YA novels end with these young couples sort of being together and being together forever, but that doesn't always happen. That's like not, that's the exception, not the rule necessarily. And so, uh, I liked that joy sort of steps aside. They were really mature about it. And you can kind of see from like the beginning of the book to the end of the book, how much these characters have grown up in their senior year like what was important to them at the very beginning of the year and how they ended it and went off to college like they truly are like maturing in front of our eyes as readers I love that about it and I think that's somewhat true to life like that is such a crazy time and I read somewhere that it's like a great illustration of what it's like to have one foot in high school and one foot out and that really is what senior year feels like and I related to a lot of the experiences they were going through I too was like a very intense student would have been friends with the APs was like very stressed about all things college admission and I think that the way that all of that was written was really great and the voice was like spot on which I loved so we do have these like sort of typical senior year high school things going on and David Yoon just does such a great job of like layering these other complexities on top of it and I think even just the expression of like that last summer was really relatable for me like the pressure that you put on yourself to have these like perfect hangouts with your friends and to like see everyone and not to want to let go I just thought all that was great and then it was just so tragic because Frank also was like preparing to lose his dad which he unfortunately does a couple of months after he leaves for college there's sort of an epilogue after Frank's gone to school and and it's sad because we see him like leaving his parents and knowing that his mom is at home like nursing his dad back to health like he's very aware of the fact that he's had to leave his parents behind like they can't even go with him to drop him off at school because his dad's health is failing and there's this like beautiful scene where he's like I'm doing this for them so as much as I feel weird about the fact that I'm leaving them behind like I know that this is what they would want me to do but a couple of months after that he does come home because his dad is close to death and he has some really great quality time with his family his sister comes back um his dad gets to hear the news that his sister is pregnant which is really sweet and they have some quality time together before his dad loses his battle with cancer um and frank gets a chance to like reconnect with some of his friends and joy and i think that the way the book ends it leaves it open-ended like i didn't read the book as frank and joy didn't end up together i read the book as i read the ending as like frank realized that he had more important things to figure out for himself and more important relationships to attend to and maybe in the future they will get back together maybe he will get back together with brit maybe he'll meet somebody else like either way he has other things to worry about and so i was focusing on that way more than i was focusing on he and joy not dating i agree and i i really like the way it ended if you ever read Nicola Yoon's book The Sun is Also a Star I think it's called yeah I love it's- that book I love that book too and it also ends in a way that like they didn't necessarily end up together but in the epilogue it sort of leaves it open-ended of like what could possibly happen and so um, I, I think that he might have taken that cue from his wife in some ways but I really loved the the ending and I felt very satisfied and so kudos to David. In the spirit of New Reads November, what do you think Frankly in Love does successfully as a new YA contribution that older books, maybe books that you read as a high schooler, did not do so successfully? Like, what does this book show about the kind of progress that we've made in the world of Kidlet? One of the things that I really liked about it is that it's very much written in today. And so I think I started out saying how, you know, things that 
we read or experienced 10 years ago are just viewed in such a different light today and have such a different meaning in today's world. And so taking all of that, what we've learned um, and in the society that we're living in today, like Frankly in Love is definitely written in today's world. And um, it's kind of taking all of the assumptions we have about immigrants, but also second generation immigrants and like these stories that we haven't necessarily heard from. And then also just like the perspective of people who really don't know where they belong in terms of, am I Korean? Am I American? I feel like neither, but both at the same time. And so I really love sort of the representation of this book and just how real it felt. Like this could have been written by any kid in today's world. And I think that, you know, David Yoon, writing from his experience, it really shows through. And, you know, I love sort of seeing that. And it's not necessarily, like, as much as I criticize, like, having Q is almost like a token LGBTQ character, I do think that just, like, having friends of mixed races who come from different backgrounds and all of that, it's really important. And that's what that's what we live in today. And so having that represented in this book was really great. Yeah, I think this is a story and a perspective that, you know, we've unfortunately had to wait a long time to hear. But I'm so glad that we are hearing it now. I um, did a very rare thing last night. I actually jumped on my Instagram stories to talk about how much I love this book. I don't do that a lot because I read so much both for the podcast and like just for fun. And more often than not, I'm like, okay, people are going to hear what I think about a book on the podcast anyway. So I don't need to like tell my Instagram followers that I thought a book was amazing. I thought this book was amazing. I thought the last few chapters in particular with him coming together with his family and like losing his dad, I thought those chapters were so affecting and so well done. Um, And I just think that it hit like such a depth of experiences and it's important for kids who are dealing with this second generation experience to read it, but it's also relatable to kids that are going through a lot of other kinds of things. And I just think in that way, it's like this perfect new YA book. Um, And I'm going to recommend it to everybody I know, kids and adults alike. Yeah, I absolutely love this book as well. And I think like all of my criticisms come just because we hold books and art nowadays to a higher standard. And I think we should hold it to a higher standard. And so um, I think that David Yoon did a really great job. Of course, there are things that I would have changed or things I would have tweaked. But overall, I think I would highly recommend this book to other people. And I'm definitely going to pass along my copy to some of my friends. I've heard the audio is great too. So listeners, if you haven't read it yet and you're an audiobook person, I would check it out in audio. Try it out on Libra FM. My friends over there are awesome. And you can use the code SSRPOD to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. Um, and yes, I've heard this is a great audiobook. Other than Frankly and Love, Tara, what else have you been reading and loving that you would recommend to our listeners? Gosh, that's such a, a loaded question. I know. So, um, with Girls Night In for uh, November, we're actually reading uh, My Friend Anna by Rachel Deloach Williams. It's nonfiction and it's a story about the Anna Delby scam written from the perspective of one of her friends. So that is a really great book and we'll be reading that for our book club in November. And a couple other books that I've been reading that I've absolutely loved, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Reed Jenkins is just amazing. I loved that one so much. It was very emotional. I cried a lot. But yeah, those are probably the top two right now. Well, I will include links to both of those in the show notes for this episode, along with the link to Frankly in Love. And I will also make sure that listeners know to go check out Girls Night In and the GNI Reads program. I love Girls Night In. I get your newsletters and everything. So if you're not on that list, listeners, get on it. It's so cool and fun. Kara, it was so nice talking with you, and I really appreciate your time um, and the fact that you read Frankly in Love with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Bye. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>